Hello, and welcome to this week's sermon podcast from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Kenwood. Here we preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Whether you find the message to be uplifting or challenging, comforting or even unsettling, we hope it'll help you grow in faith and your relationship with God. Thank you for listening. To God be the glory. The first reading is from Isaiah chapter 63. I will tell of the Lord's unfailing love. I will praise the Lord for all he has done. I will rejoice in his great goodness to Israel, which he has granted according to his mercy and love. He said, they are, they are my very own people. Surely they will not betray me again. And he became their savior. In all their suffering, he also suffered, and he personally rescued them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them through all the years. The second reading is from Hebrews, the second chapter. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory, and it was only right that he should make Jesus— through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who has the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, He is able to help us when we are being tested. This is the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. After the Magi were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the Magi had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the Magi's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. 
When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then, after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. This is the Gospel of the Lord. This is a sermon about dead baby boys. Maybe not what you wanted to hear here on the first Sunday after Christmas and the day that we have a baptism at the next service. In the Episcopal Church, the gospel assigned for today is John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's cosmic and poetic and beautiful. And we have Herod killing babies. It's a story that I preached here at Good Shepherd six years ago. We come from a day of celebration and joy immediately to this hellish place of Rachel weeping for her children. It's too soon. And would that it were otherwise, it's too familiar. They say in those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. We've heard this bit. The occupying state wanted to know how many people they could tax. So the Holy Family journeyed to Bethlehem where Joseph's family had once owned land. Mary was pregnant, so the donkey ride was intermittently painful and boring. And they arrived finally and could only stay in a barn, reminded of their status as nobodies. The shepherds come, and eventually the magi. It's dirty and hard, but in our memories anyway, it's also beautiful and pastoral. Even their escape to Egypt as refugees has a certain rosiness when we remember it. Only we don't get the magi till next week sometime, and Egypt... Egypt is about uncertainty and terror. And also, first, we get mass murder. King Herod was a paranoid man, a man steeped in power and also anxious to keep his position in a country that was actually ruled and occupied by Rome. These wizards from far away, these magi, they show up and they ask him about a new king who's been born, and he paranoid, anxious, and with more money and power at his disposal than he is wise, gives the order to his troops that every boy child two years old and younger is to be taken into custody and murdered so that he can rest easy. On the word of these random magicians, children are a threat to this man. Toddlers. It's called the slaughter of the innocents. We have evidence to suggest that it probably didn't actually happen, but it doesn't matter whether it did or didn't. A historian from the era, Josephus, tells us Herod had three of his sons killed because he saw them as threats to his power. Commanding the slaughter of children would not be beyond the pale for Herod. And more importantly, it doesn't matter if this particular slaughter happens because it keeps happening. In every country and in every era, I'm not kidding when I tell you that every commentary I read this week, every blog post, every article, they all spoke about whatever the current slaughter of the innocents was in the year that they were writing. Sandy Hook, Pulse, Dallas, Trayvon Martin, Rita Hester, 
Syria, mothers escaping abusive relationships, and on and on and on. And every one of them said, this isn't new. This using the lives of the helpless to make someone feel in control or happy, we've been telling this story for centuries. This isn't new. There are ways of telling stories that help us understand them better, help us to read them in more depth. In film and television, there are visual clues, like when something important is happening to a character, like maybe they're leaving their hometown or something like that. There's sometimes a shot of, from their perspective of the town receding into the distance. And then later in the film or another point in the television show, another character will experience the same thing. You'll see it from their perspective, the town receding in the distance. And you're meant to connect the two moments or the two characters. They speak something about the other. The point is they resonate with each other, right? They echo, they rhyme with each other. And this same thing happens in Scripture. The story about the death of children rhymes with several stories in Scripture. The death of the firstborn during the ten plagues of Egypt the moment when Abraham took God at God's word and went about sacrificing his only son, Job's 12 children all dying in a building collapse, the weeping that shows up all over the prophets for the children of Israel who are destroyed in their exile in Babylon and for the orphans and widows constantly left to starve by those same people. The gospel lesson today is meant to rhyme with those stories It's meant to remind us of the lengths that people in power will go to keep that power. And it's meant to remind us that sometimes we're the victims of that power, and sometimes we're the ones trying to keep the power. It's meant to remind us of our need for compassion and justice. It's meant to be ugly and frightening and uncomfortable to read during worship. How could we not draw parallels to school shootings or mass graves or immigrant children no longer recognizing their parents? We're meant to. Herod's evil, Babylon's evil, Pharaoh's evil, they're not unique. And neither is our mourning. We cry like Rachel for our own children. We cry when we lose them. We cry when they're happy because the world isn't good enough for them. We cry because the same story keeps happening the same evil in our own time. I want to fix this so much. I want to mend it. I want the birth of Jesus not three days ago to take away all this pain and ugliness. But the presence of Jesus is not the absence of conflict. The presence of Jesus is not the absence of suffering or the absence of sin. In the words of a recent op-ed, where else can one speak about Christmas other than in a world in which racism, sexism, classism, materialism, and the devaluation of human life are commonplace? People are hurting, this person said, and the epicenter of that hurt, according to the Feast of Holy Innocence, that epicenter remains the focus of God's concern. God cares Good news is good because so much of what we see and hear and live is bad news. And it's not just the contrast, it's that we live R-rated lives and Scripture speaks the same language. 
The incarnation doesn't happen separate from our pain and the pain we inflict. God is with us not only in our celebration, but also our tribulation. So, where is the good news in this story? Some say it's in the fact that Jesus survives, that he and his family flee to Egypt and survive this slaughter, that all of that is meant to be a sign of hope. There's good news there. Some escaped. Herod failed. But how many died so he could be spared? One commentary from 1871, if you can believe it, reads, O ye mothers of Bethlehem, Methinks I hear you asking why your innocent babes should be the ram caught in the thicket while Isaac escapes. I cannot tell you, but one thing I know, that you shall, some of you, live to see a day when that babe of Bethlehem shall be himself the ram caught in another sort of thicket, in order that your babes may escape a worse doom than they now endure. Relatedly, others have said that Jesus' crucifixion begins here in this story, not Monday, Thursday, or even at some point in his adult career, here. Because he too is a victim, and because the entire point is that God becomes flesh to take on all our humanity. Somehow, this bloody, ugly event is part of that. Somehow, salvation begins surrounded by misery. But it begins. Matthew brings in another rhyming moment, just sort of suggesting good news in our grief. He quotes from Jeremiah, Rachel weeps for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. Matthew stops there, but what follows in Jeremiah, I think, is what he's really getting at. Jeremiah says, Return, O virgin Israel, return to these your cities. How long will you waver, O faithless daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing on earth. Woman encircles man. God has created a new thing. This is spoken by Jeremiah and Isaiah and Matthew and John of Patmos in the book of Revelation. God is always doing a new thing. And by quoting this little bit of Jeremiah, Matthew is implying the rest of it, that Mary is being called back from exile, that Israel is being called back, that we are being called back, being given new life, new possibilities. Through these new things, this new thing on earth, which the Lord has done through Mary, the woman, encircling the man Jesus in her womb. Jeremiah and Matthew and so many others are reminding us that God with us, God is with us when we flee, and God is with us when we return. When we're afraid, when we reach out, God is with us, even in the darkest times, which is why we keep having babies. It's why we keep baptizing them and bringing them into this family. It's why we keep making art and building buildings and doing science. God is writing a new book and taking our lives and memories and actions and making something else, something unexpected with them. The slaughter of the innocents rhymes with what we see and experience, and so maybe we feel less alone because of that. But also, it's only a rhyme. It isn't the same story. It changes and moves, and God is on the move. 
May we bring good news to the world. May we plant roses where there were ashes. May we sow laughter. And may God show us, even when we grieve, the certainty and joy of possibility. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Kenwood. Please browse our website for other opportunities to grow in faith or serve the Lord. If you are able to worship with us at any time, we would be most honored by your presence.